So turn me in Romans chapter 8. Today we're going to be finishing up on verse 30. Um, I'm going to start reading at verse 26 in Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans is found in, uh, in the New Testament. We have an Old Testament. We have a New Testament. Old Testament dealt with the covenant of works. New Testament, the covenant of grace. And we had the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels. That's the life of Jesus, right? And so after Jesus is ascended to heaven, right, he sent the Holy Spirit, and the church, the visible church is established in the book of Acts. Then now Paul goes out to be able to be a part of planting churches all over the Asia Minor, and some in Greater Asia, and also some over in the Greece area, what we know as Philippi and um, uh, Thessalonica, Bereans, where the Bereans are at. And so the churches are planted. Well, now Paul, now no churches exist there. Now he's writing letters back to them. So Romans is one of those letters. Paul is writing, checking on the church to encourage the church. And the Roman church is no different from the church here at Christ Redeemer Church. And so Paul writes the letter to encourage the church on um, they're walking with Jesus and what's happening within the church. He encouraged them of the gospel. And so this word that was given to this first century church family is just as valuable, it's just as sufficient as what was, that it can be given to us here in 2024. And so, um, so Paul is encouraging the church right now on assurance. What does it mean to have assurance in Jesus no matter in your struggle with sin? Hey, Nothing will separate you from Jesus. And we'll talk about that more as we progress throughout. But Paul is getting that you don't have to give in to the flesh. You can trust the spirit. Let me read Romans 8, starting at verse 26. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with growing into deep with words. And he, and he who searches the hearts know what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good again all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let me pray for us and ask the Lord to help us as we walk through this test together. Our Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank you again, Lord, for your goodness, Lord, to bring us back to your word. Lord, we are in need of a word this morning. Lord, we are needed, Lord, to be edified this morning. We ask you, Lord, to do it. Edify us, Lord, through your word. Let us, Lord, be changed, Lord, by hearing your word. Let us rest upon your word. Let us grow in your word. And, Lord, I pray that, Lord, we may thrive in your word, Lord, as we hear your word. But for me, Lord, help me, Lord, and I am weak this morning as a sister Catholic prayed. I need your strength to preach your word faithfully. Lord, there's no way I can preach your word without your spirit. So let your spirit, Lord, give me the that the power that's needed, Lord, to preach your word faithfully, Lord. That if it's not of you, Lord, remove it from my notes, from my mind, um, from my heart. But, Lord, give me the truth, Lord, out of my heart, Lord, that is of you. So I can give it to your people and also give it to my own heart. So, Lord, bless us, Lord, this morning as we walk through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. One person says this. Is that we can be certain. We can know that all things work together for good. For us. Because we are the called according to his purpose. The apostle wrote these words. In order to comfort these Roman Christians. And the background is the problem of the suffering. In the Christian life. The fundamental truth is. The purpose of God. Which he conceived for us in eternity. And all the steps of which were planned in eternity before the foundation of the world. God planned for his people this ultimate salvation, this final glorification. He did not merely plan the first steps and then wait to see what would happen. 
He planned it right through the end. Predestination or the foreknowing, the predestination, the calling, the justification, all the process of salvation were planned before you was even born. Hey, look at your lives right now, where you're at. Some are teachers or some are working um, in different plants and, and some are uh, stay-at-home moms and so many various professions around. All the way to the T, your lives were planned as believers for God to get the ultimate glory. So it's no mistake a part of the journey what God is doing in the midst of this. So we learn today our lives aren't an accident. That God plan of salvation is bigger than us just making it to heaven. A lot of us think that we believe in Jesus, we go to heaven. It's bigger than heaven. He heaven is only one part of this picture, right? The, the glorious picture that if there's a heaven without a God, it's not a heaven. What makes heaven so special? Because it's a God that is so glorious that is in that heaven. So again, God planned well, for his name to be praised with the glorious heaven, with our salvation, with our trials, all these things that every single moment of our existence points to a glorious God. So we finish here in verse 30 with this ultimate goal in our suffering is glorification. It's glorification. Paul is in the rest of the chapter. He's going to walk this out. That if it's all about God's glory, we don't have to be afraid. Like, like what can man bring against us? What charges? What can man do to us? What can this world do to us? What can we do to ourselves in the way of this guilt? If God is putting everything together for his glory and all these things are working for his glory, Paul is getting that we can rest in God every single day of our lives. We can rest in him. There's no excuse for us not to rest in him. That's what Paul is building up in here in this text. That God is not making a mistake. That God has capitalized on every second of our lives. The good and the bad, all things work for his glory. The good and the bad, everything God is using. What, what Satan and, and the fallen angels and our flesh may want to see, God turns it around and still make everything for our good. What? Who can fathom? Who, who can, can, can even come close to the mind of God? His mind, his thoughts, no one can even come close to it. Only reason we can see it because God has revealed it in this special revelation in this word. This is the wisdom of God. And as we embrace this biblical worldview we embrace what God is doing family we stand in boldness when our flesh is so weak we stand trusting in the truth of God that God is going to bring us through and God is going to use this moment for his glory many may be looking around and say marriages are the marriage are struggling or singleness is, is a struggle the job is a struggle. The kids are a struggle. They look at all these things around them as a believer. Now they taste upon the word now and said, no, God is fashioning me for his glory. They see things different from us. So let's jump right into our test today. We're going to do it in three points today. God glorified us despite our brokenness. A lot of times people say, well, we were broken, so God did it. This God planned for eternity. This wasn't a backup plan. It was all a part of God's plan. The Satan didn't get God off his plan. God already had this plan from eternity. Second point. God does it. I mean, what does it mean for us to be glorified? What does it mean for us to be glorified? The second point. The third point. The reason why God glorified us despite our brokenness. So, just point number one. 
God glorified us despite our brokenness. And those whom he justified, it says, he also glorified. We have learned about God for knowing in us and predestining us, calling us, and justifying us. That the Christian can rest that he is loved more than he or she can even imagine. We know this by God having an intimate love for us before we were even born. He had a love for us. God had already set us aside for his glory before we even knew our, know ourselves or knew ourselves. For God did this help. Can we discredit God in loving us? God did this before we even came into this world. Before us even committing our first sin. God knew us. Right, you can go to a store, right? You can look and, you know, you see around and um, you can look in the store and say, oh, somebody had those on and got a mark on them. I'm not going to buy those. You can go to the store and say, oh, I'm going to try this out. You can push the button on some toys. You push and say, try me. And the thing comes out and say, you know, it may know it. Right? Some things you can go to the store and say, try me. Or you can go to a Goodwill, right? You look at stuff and say, oh, this right here has something on it. I don't want to buy it. That's the opposite of God. And God, in the way of saying, let me look and see right here. Let me look and see. I'm not going to buy this. I'm not going to buy this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do this. We have in his own glorious wisdom in his own holiness in his own goodness because if you look at it in a way of and all of our resumes are the same like this yellow brick road for us to make it to the end of the road as we're going to be like Jesus. Even though as we're on this yellow brick road in the Wizard of Oz, right? We're on this yellow brick road. Even though you're on that road, you're going to have things that come and try to get you off of it. It reminds me of the Pilgrim Progress with a little Christian. We talked about this, right? How Christian is, 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 is actually introduced to these various things to get them off track. 
But what happened though is this, we see this predestined of the lives of Christian and pagan progress, how Christian is encouraged the whole way there to make it to the celestial city. In the same way as the Christians, as we are living out this Christian life, it's the Lord that's keeping us and guiding us to the people he wants us to be. So he talks about the foreknown, he predestined us, but he also talks about how he, how he called us to follow after him. This effectual calling to conform to Jesus is that not only he said, come follow me, he gave us new affections to want to follow him. At first our affections wanted to follow the things in the world, but now we really want to follow after him. Beside my nightstand at, at night, I have this bag of candy. And, and I look at it, I can count. I got my Reese's. I tell you, if all the little smaller Reese's, I know how many it is. I don't have to look at the bag. And I can smell around. A child been over by my candy, right? But one thing about eating the one piece of Reese's though, it does something to you. You make you want to get another Reese's, I don't know. Do everybody like Reese's? I love Reese's, okay, everybody, okay. I love Reese's candy. Once you taste it, I want to come back for more. No one has to ask me and say, hey, would you like to have a Reese's? Do you like Reese's? For me, before they even get it out, I'm going to go ahead and take it from them. That's how much I like them. Well, in a similar way, for those that are truly followers of Jesus, God has given us a new spirit in us when he had called us. Now we have that taste after him that we taste and see that he is so good. He is so good, and we want more, want more, want more, and we want to go after him. When God called us, he gives us a new heart that wants him. It's a factual calling. It's a factual. It's a fact that's happening in the life of the Christian. And now we want to live for him. So the, the struggling Christian has a desire to be planted in God's word, had a desire to come alongside Jesus. And last week, we will mention about this, the word we just hear, we read in our text in verse 30, the word justified. That, that, that we are forever, forever, ever, 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 ever. John came out of me. Forever righteous before God. We are forever righteous. We are made right. The gavel is already hit, right? Not guilty, you are officially, you are truly right before God. We can't condemn ourselves. No one on earth can condemn us because we have been made right. Before the judge, God's courtroom it extends from Palm Bluff to Israel to Africa to Asia to Antarctica. God's courtroom extends the whole earth. And, and within his courtroom, for us that have stood right there before him as believers, he said, not guilty. He hit the gavel because Jesus comes in and said, Father, I take the charges that belong to them. Jesus said, I take the charges. All the things they did, give those charges to me. And what did the judge say? Jordan, come, my good and faithful servant. Jacob, come, my good and faithful servant. Jacob, come, my good and faithful servant. Not that what y'all have done, because Jesus has done. Jesus has took your place so you can be set free and you be the one that's in the right, which is called justified. So the picture is God called us to himself, but also he justified and made us right with him. Oh, the mind of God. The whole picture of God's work it's already planned to the T and how God called us and foreknown us and predestined us. He also made us right. Now, family, what are we waiting on in entering that glorious kingdom to come? It's glorification. Glorification. He justified and made us right. But we need our new bodies. We have mentioned about glorified and glory several times here in Romans so far. Paul gives us a chunk of encouragement, then he ends us off with some with, with glorified with glorification. He done this several times all throughout this, um, this, this even in the chapter of Romans eight. Paul continued getting that family suffering. It's going to point to glorification over and over again. 
Adam and Eve was to walk in the glory with God and the Father, God the Father. But they replaced the glory of God to the glory of shame. And we will eventually be where Adam and Eve were called to be in the Garden of Eden, glorified, walking with God, with no sin. Family, now, because of the new Adam, which is Christ, the better Adam, now it's going to be this new garden again. But this garden is going to be a heaven. God is going to be there. And no more sin. It's going to talk about in Revelation 19 and, and 18 how God is going to destroy, destroy in 20. He's going to destroy all the works of Satan. He's going to get rid of all the works. The, the Babylon, the great, the, the harlot, all the kingdoms and everything, the spiritual Babylon that we see in our age, God is going to destroy it all. And he's going to bring in a new heaven, a new earth. It's going to be glorified. So Christians that feel like they aren't used by God or feel like their lives are a total wreck. Listen to what J.R. Packer says to you and me. And me that asking how in the world is God going to use us in the midst of all this. J.R. Packer says everything God does is for his own glory. Everything God permits is for his own glory. Everything God pursues is for his own glory. When God acts, it is for the sake of his name. And all of this gracious rebounds to our, to our happy benefit. To put it more directly, the aim of God in creation and redemption is his delight and our delight in him. The whole picture in this is glory. That when we are glorified, now we truly have our true, everything about us is truly now delighted in him. Right now, we're still divided. Sometimes we, we're, we're all committed to the Lord. Then sometimes our flesh takes us off and we say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. But it's going to be a time that every moment of our existence and our soul and our being is going to be to delight in God. So I said all this. Second point. What does it mean for us to be glorified? What does it mean for us to be glorified? And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We just learned about glorified or justified. But what, I mean glorified, but what is, what is it really? Before I define the word, let me say this word will come to use in the Reformation. When the Protestant protested against the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church was the biggest church in the world. And for the Roman Catholic Church, they controlled almost everything. A lot of the stories of people getting beheaded or getting killed at the stake, they had some people that was actually tied to the pole and it was burned up on fire because they didn't want to go along with the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. They wanted to stand on God's word. They wanted to stand on truth. That Christ is the only way. Not a church, not, 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 the, not through a pope or through Mary, that Christ is the only way. We don't have to give all these things to the church to be saved. That Christ has already saved us and for them standing on truth. And many we know of as translated the Bible. One guy named John Wycliffe, he translated the Bible into English. And for him, they didn't make it to him in time to kill him. So he was buried. So what? They hated him so much. They went to his grave and dug him up and then burned him up again. That's how much they hated these reformers, or Wycliffe was before the kind of reform, but he was kind of a, a predecessor. Like he kind of started, helped start the Reformation with Martin Luther. But the Reformation guessed it, 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 told, it, it, it was getting that, it was going against, protesting against the teaching of the Roman church. For example, the five solas. One person said this. One of the things said scriptures alone. Why did they say scriptures alone? Because the Catholic Church said scriptures and traditions what saves you. You hold on to scriptures, but also the very tradition within the Catholic Church. So the traditions in the scriptures save. The reformers said, no, God's word is enough, not the traditions of a church, a man. Second thing it said, sola fide, which is Latin for faith alone. Well, the Catholic Church said faith 
and works. That yeah, you have faith, but you got to do these works to be saved as well. It was different from James, right? How faith, right? As you believe in God, works come out. David said, no, faith in works actually saves. Another thing that says sola gratia, which is grace alone. They said grace alone, yeah, you get grace to Christ, but also the merit you get by doing other things as well from, the, from, the, uh, from, from those that went before them in the Catholic Church. They say Christ alone in the Reformers. The Reformers said, no, we are saved by only Christ. But the Catholic Church mentioned that, no, it was Christ and Mary and the intercession of the saints. That Mary, we got to pray to Mary, they pray to Mary and the beast. All these things, we said, no, Jesus Christ is enough. Mary needed a Savior just like us. And the last part of this, the, all of these sum that the last one is sola dea gloria. And I don't know in the Latin, so I might have messed all that up. It said glory to God alone. The Catholic Church said no. Glory to the saints, to the church and the hierarchy. They would actually have these saints. We talked about this a while back. Within the Catholic Church, like 10,000 saints. You do this certain thing, you get to be a saint. You get a statue made. And so, I think I saw a statue. But, but for the most part, though, that they would say all these things glory. But we say no. The ultimate glory is only to God. It's God and God alone. Not to us, nor the church, but to God alone. And that's where we see now, we get into our text now. This word glory has been a word that has been very involved at a delicate time in history. The word glory is the word doxa. Somebody might say, somebody might have heard doxology, but doxa. That's the Greek word, or that's the Greek word for glory, meaning praise, or another word, rendering honor, or even to exalt. And I've heard this word glorified is in the aorist active indicative tense. When I told you all aorist, that means something happened in the past. In the Greek English, they don't say past tense, they say aorist tense. So this is the aorist active indicative tense. So God is the one that has glorified the ones that have been justified. So the ones that were justified or made right are the ones that are exalted or rendered under too. Normally, glory refers to God. Right? But we see we are glorified. So now you might be thinking, like, what is going on here? God deserves all the glory, but why are we glorified? Remember that God doesn't share his glory with anyone. For God to give something his glory or someone to share in his glory is not in opposition to God. One person said this right here. God relentlessly and unceasingly, which is not stopping, Creates, rule, order, directs, speaks, judges, saves, destroys, and delivers in order to make known who he is and to secure from the whole of the universe the praise, the honor, and the glory of which he and he alone is ultimately and infinitely worthy. Again, God relentlessly and unceasingly recreates, rule, order, directs, speaks, judges, saves, destroys, and delivers in order to make known who he is and to secure from the whole universe the praise, the honor, and the glory which he and he alone and infinitely worthy. God is only the one that deserves all the glory. But now we see in Romans 8.30 that he gives the glory to the ones that are justified. That they now are become infinitely worthy. We saw this earlier in Romans 2.7. To them who by patient continence and well-doing seek for the glory and honor and immortality and eternal life. They are believers we seek for the glory. We talked about this in Romans 2.10. But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and to also the Gentiles. We also talked about in Romans 17, verses 17 and 18. And if children and heirs and heirs of God join heirs with Christ, if so, that, so be that 
we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worth compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So many of y'all might be asking questions again. We are getting glory and God has glory. How does all this work together? How does it work together? They had me thinking about this as an example. When players on a basketball team, they're working together. One player shoots, one player passes the ball, one player plays good defense, and the team wins. The team wins the championship. All the players played a role in for the team to actually get this recognition. It was all about the team. It wasn't about one individual player. It was about the whole team getting a win. I was thinking about somebody need life, somebody life that needs to be saved, right? Somebody call 911. The fire department come, the EMT come, then a person is taken to a hospital, the nurses are there, uh, the, the, uh, the nurses, the doctors, everybody plays a role in this. But when it comes out is that the hospital saved my child's life. It wasn't just the hospital. It was all these things played a role in this for this ultimate picture, but the hospital gets the ultimate credit. What in the Christian life? I don't know if those are good examples, but in the Christian life, by us being glorified, it points to something greater than us. It points to God's glory. Our glorification points to God's glory. How do we know this? When we were dead in our sin and our trespasses, who brought us to life? It was God. And so when the world sees something different about us, when the world sees our lives have changed, who get the glory? We couldn't change ourselves. We turn and say we are this way because God has made us this way. So we are glorified. God has made us this way so everybody can see who has glorified us. Glorification, glorifying. You deal with exalting. You deal with exalting and giving one honor and praise what is due. Family, and I'm talking more about this in the third point. One of the things, too, about being married to Christ in Ephesians 5, he talks about we're the bride of Christ. Christ, the one, deserves all the glory with the Father and the Spirit. By us being married to Christ, we're considered as glorified as well now. The benefits of being within the Lamb is that we get to be glorified with Christ. We get the benefits of Christ. So now we get exalted. We get exalted. We're given honor. We're given these certain things, not because of our own works, because what Christ has done in us. Brings our last point. What's the reason? The reason why God glorified us to find our brokenness. The reason. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, what is the purpose of God glorified the ones he justified? God didn't just make us holy just to make us holy and check us off the list. God didn't make us righteous to make us righteous just to check us off the list. God is just for all Noah, just to for Noah's. Or predestined just to predestined us. What's the purpose? What's the purpose in all this? Let me go there further. What's the purpose for you working the job you're working? You might have a passion for what you do at your job. That might be a great thing you accomplish at your job. But you getting a check is not the main ultimate purpose as a Christian. That's good for you. I mean, me taking care of my family, that, that is good. That is what we're called to do. We're called to work and we're called to provide. Those things we're called to do. 
what's the ultimate purpose? And I'll say this right here. Everybody say, hey, what, everybody be, a lot of times people ask the question like, hey, what's your purpose in life? What's your purpose in life? As believers, family, we all have the same purpose. We all have the same purpose. Purpose. We might have different avenues in life. Some avenue might be a basketball coach. Some might be a lawyer. Some might be a nurse. Some might be a doctor. We might all have different avenues in life. But whatever avenue we got, God has put in our lives, all of these avenues point to the same purpose and the same ultimate purpose. Who made you? What else did God make? Why did God make you in all things? For his glory. For his glory. God has made us for his glory to be like him. Then and only then we will honor him the way he desires. What happened is that a lot of times we, we want to honor God in a way that we desire to honor him. We might do things that will, this is good enough for God right here. Let me go ahead and set the standard for God. God, I'm going to give you what I want to give you. But if we honor God the way he wants to be honored, we give him what he wants out of us. We give him what he desires. Adam and Eve was glorified in the garden of Eden, but God allowed them to be led by their desires. Their desires were not for him, and they met with, the, and they, they met with a serpent, and they turned away from God. But now God has given his justified people a new spirit in them that are led by their new desire, which is to honor him in all things. God created us to glorify him. God created us to glorify him. So he glorified us so we can glorify him. And that's why I tell them the catechism after we said what it, what did God, why did God make you in all things for his glory? The next question, how can you glorify God? By loving, by loving him and doing what he commands. And why should you glorify God? Because he made us and take care of us. So how do you glorify God? By loving him and doing what he commands. That's our purpose in our existence. By loving him and doing what he commands. And we couldn't do that outside of his work in us, the spirit. So what God done, he gave the spirit in us. So now we have a love for him. Now we have a desire to keep his commandments. So God, at the end of all this, all the sin, all the things that's happening in our lives, now God has created a new man that fulfills his desires by his spirit in us and through his son. If we aren't glorified, we wouldn't be able to glorify him. Paul says this later in Romans. Romans first, uh, he said this in Romans 9, 23. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. God's plan was always to make known his riches of his glory to his people. This will only bring about God's ultimate plan in our lives. God created us to make much of him. God created to make much of him. He deserves all the honor, the power, and the glory. And that is what he desires out of us. So that's why he says here, for whom he did not foreknow, he did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among brethren. God conforms us to be like Jesus, so we can honor him like Jesus has honored the Father. Greg sent me a passage, John 17, this week. A couple of verses out of John 17 when Jesus prayed this high priestly prayer. Look at these words right here. When Jesus had spoken to these words, he lifted up his eyes into heaven and said, Listen to what Jesus says. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that he, the son may glorify you. Why did Jesus want to be glorified? So Jesus can glorify his father. 
Why do we want to be glorified? So we can glorify the Father. Since you have given him authority of all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus had glory because he's God already, but also he got glory because of the obedience to the Father. And you can go down and read more of, of, of John 17. But it's enriched all throughout John 17 how Jesus gave honor to the Father, honor to the Father. Jesus' prayer is a mouthful of honor to the Father. <coughs> He said, I glorify you on earth, having come with the work you have given to me. Then it said in verse 14, I have given them your word. Verse 25 and 26, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. These know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What is Jesus' life right here like? It's making known of his Father. What is your life like? Do you have to make things in life about you? As kids? Do everything in the house have to be revolved around you as kids? Or a spouse in a marriage? Does everything have to be revolved around you as a spouse? Everything needs to be revolved around the glory and the majesty of God. It should be about God glory and God honor through your life and your sacrifice to one another. So do your spouse see Jesus in you? Kids, do your parents see Jesus in you? Or do they see a person that's making everything about themselves? And when we make things about ourselves, guess what we've done? We call everybody else, might we call everybody else a thief. But when we make things about ourselves, we are nothing but thieves. We're taking God's glory and putting it on ourselves and not giving it to God. It belongs to God and God alone. Our lives, as we do things for people in our community, we do things for kids, we do things for the, those who are in need, we shouldn't be the first one to say, let me get a picture and let everybody see what I did. Because we made it about us. And nothing wrong with taking pictures. I don't want nobody to take legal to say, can't take pictures. But for the most part, though, is that in your heart, when you do things, are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it for God's glory? Because let me tell you what. Outside looking in, a lot of times it can look the same. A lot of times you can help a little lady across the street. And everybody, oh, that looks so good what God doing in their life. But in the deeper of that person's heart, that person will say, I wish everybody can see what I'm doing right now. So deep down right now, be honest with yourself. Are you living a life about God's glory or are you living a life stealing God's glory putting it on yourself? God is making us more and more. And I can submit here, all of us in this room, we do at times seek for some type of attention. We all do. We all do at some part. It might be one second of your life. It might be 10 seconds. It might be the whole day. As believers, the flesh, right? We still have this weak flesh. This weak flesh want to boast in itself. So we all in this room have some in us. When that day of glory come, our old self will be stripped away. It will be no more fighting to give God the glory. Now we're going to be freely to give God the glory with no more obstacles in our way. We're going to have a new body, a glorified body. It's going to be just like Jesus. So family, as we end here today, the opening picture of all what God is doing in the lives of the struggling believer. If it's pornography, anger, selfishness, if it's pride, if all those things are in your life, Paul is reminding us you would not be condemned. No matter how bad things might get for those who are true believers, he 
will keep you. He has predestined you. He will keep you. So for those in the room that's feeling kind of just terrible right now, feeling disgusted about yourself, feeling like I keep saying I'm going to do this, I keep saying I'm going to live for the Lord, that there's an area of my life in this room right now, people don't know well what I'm struggling with. I feel like a hypocrite if I bring this up in front of everybody. I feel so disgusted right now. If you feel that way, family, for those that are true believers, this message in Romans for you let you know because of what you feel, bring things on what God has said in his word that nothing will condemn you now as a believer. All your sins are nailed to the cross. Now that's different now if you don't have that spirit and that conviction in you. If you're just living in sin and just saying, well, I got caught, I'm sorry, whatever, you know. But if you're truly, truly living in repentance and you're seeking after the Lord, that professional calling is in your life. But for those that doesn't want to turn to Jesus, but just want to live in the world and doesn't even want anything of Jesus, I can't say in certainty that you won't be condemned. But for those that truly believe in the Son, believe in Christ, has died for their sins, and trusting in Christ, even though they struggle, Christ said, I paid it all. I paid it in full. I didn't pay some of that debt. I didn't pay just a little bit of that debt. Family, it's pay all paid off. It's all paid off, and it's paid in full. That I, when, I, when Jesus said, it is finished, family, it is finished. Our sins are no more. And we're completely made right with God. So Christian brothers and sisters that are struggling this morning, join the party of the Christian brothers and sisters. We got our flesh right. We're fighting. One thing about the Christian church, it's a group of struggling people. <laughs> Some here might come in looking all good like they have a struggle. They struggling as true believers. We got something in our lives. Something in our lives. All of us. But one thing we have in common too, we have a Savior that gives us more and more grace over and over again. Two things. Us being glorified makes us like Jesus. Us being glorified guarantee the Lord will keep us. Us being glorified will fulfill the Father plan in our in, in, in all creation. Us being glorified would make us like Jesus. Lord Jones says this: If God has foreknown us as people who are going to be Christians, then according to the apostle, He has already glorified us. Glorification does not belong to this life and this world. It belongs to the, the world. It belongs to the next world, to the life that is yet to come. So glorification cannot possibly be a temporary condition. It applies to our mortal bodies. They will be glorified when we are fully conformed to the image of the dear son. This is beyond time, beyond the grave, beyond anything that we can do, do in this world. And the argument is that those whom God has foreknown, he has, also, he has already glorified. You cannot reconcile falling from grace with that fact. Family, you can't fall from grace. Some in different groups and different belief systems, but then Christianity, plus Christianity, say you can fall away. Family, our God power is strong enough to keep us. He won't let us fall away. He will keep us. He will keep us. Us being glorified guarantees the Lord will keep us. The last quote I want to make here. The last one. All whom God foreknows, he predestines to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. If God has known you as one of his people, that he has taken his great decision with respect to you. He has already predestined you to that ultimate end, to be glorified like his son. If therefore it is possible for anyone to fall away, it means that God made a mistake when he predestined such a person to that glory. God doesn't make mistakes. So if God has predestined you, 
Family, he gonna finish what he started. I got so many projects around my house that I haven't finished that I started. And Lena kind of give me a reminder of that every single day. Or every single hour too, as well. But God, if he start a project, if God starts something, if God started something, family, he's gonna complete it. If we're us, he's gonna glorify us. The psalm writer, Toplay, is it Toplay? T-O-P-A-L-A-D-Y? Is it Augustus Tope? Well, the words go like this. Things future nor things that are now, not all things below nor above, can make him his purpose for a goal, or sever my soul from his love. Nothing can sever his soul from his love. Lastly, lastly, one person, last person right here from Ligonier. It says this, the purpose of your life is the same purpose of which all things were created, to bring glory to God. The 16th century, the Protestant Reformation coined the Latin phrase, sola de la gloria, sola de la gloria. To capture the Bible teaching that everything in creation, providence, redemption is done for God's glory and not our own. The resources in this collection define God's glory. It's, it's pretty much saying he has a he's saying that everything in our lives are done for God's glory. Everything. Application. Ask yourself daily, how is my heart anticipating the glory in this exact moment? Right now, in this moment, how is your heart anticipating that glory? Second thing, when suffering in your life is not so easily to shake off, remember that God is using this moment for his glory. And third thing, remember that God is going to keep you to finish his work of glorification in your life. He's going to keep you to do it. So, family, Examine your life and see if you're making things about yourself more than about God. And if so, repent. Confess that to the Lord. Let me pray for us and let us enjoy communion together.